This podcast is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. We understand that some of our opinions will not be shared with many people and hope you can still bear with us in order to hear amazing Wisconsin-based stories. We are not licensed therapists or able to give legal advice by any means. Our show notes will provide all of our source materials included for each episode. Now Now on on to to the the show. Welcome back to All the Sins of Wisconsin. I'm Fallon, and I am here with Mims. How are you? (laughs) I can't today. Today has been a day. There seems to be a lot of emotions going on in the world. A lot of truths, a lot of emotions, a lot of tears. Yes. And today you said it was a full moon. Yeah, it's a full moon in Sagittarius, so everyone is being called to To speak their truth. Mm. Yes, I feel that today. So they can transform their lives. Oh, it's my a transformative life. moon. My so. life is transforming. Yeah. <laughs> I can feel it. Me too. Oh, man. Wow. It's not a day for secrets, guys. Mm-mm. Okay. Well, I don't have much news. Let's talk about the convention. Mm. Yes. Okay. So the convention that we are talking about is... <laughs> Dark history. Yes. In Horicon. Yes. In Champaign, Illinois, uh, August 19th and the 20th. Um, they're going to be really cool people there. We were just talking about the celebrities that are going to be there. Like, And I thought we were going to be the celebrities that right. were there, but apparently we're at the bottom of I the was celebrity like, food <laughs> Let me break it down for you. <laughs> the guy from 7th Heaven is going to be there. Which guy? I don't know. <laughs> One of the white guys. <laughs> They're all white. I was just going to say, I recall them all being white. Yes. Okay. Um, don't know which one, but everybody's very excited. And there is a tattoo artist that was there last year, apparently. That's going to be there this year. She specializes in hard tattoos. Mm. So I'm very excited about that. I've always wanted one of those, like, American Psycho. Uh, Ooh. Fucking right. Yeah. Yeah, I always wanted one of those. Um, so, yeah, I'm pretty, pretty much it for me for that. Yeah. That just reminded me, my tattoo artist died. What the fuck? Like, recently? Yeah, last week. Oh, my, I heard about it. Oh, yeah. Big guns? Yeah. Oh, damn, dude. Mm -hmm. So, shout out to him. Yeah. Sad. Mm -hmm. Lots of sad people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. Yeah, I don't think I have anything else. I have nothing. I need a new tattoo, though. Yeah, I'm still working on my back. I'm still working on some ideas. Ooh! I got this one, though. Oh, that's cute. When did you get that? The day I was getting my back done. So oh. I have a little Playboy <laughs> bunny on my chest for all like, of you oh, guys. That's cute. Nobody knows. <laughs> Nobody You're just knows flashing me. Yes. <laughs> Behind the scenes. Just take it off my shirt. <laughs> Oh, man. Things are getting juicy in here today. (laughs) Yep. Everything's out the window today. (laughs) I think I'm first. Yes. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, so 
This is the tragic story of Cameron Langrill. So my sources are Advocate.com, Cosmopolitan, uh, the Racine County Eye, which sounds really creepy, uh, Find a Grave, and Fox 6 News. So Cameron was born on January 5th, 2000, a young gun. Oh, yeah. She was 25 years old. I'm sorry, 15 years old. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, she was a freshman attending Harlech High School in Racine, Wisconsin. Are you familiar with that area? Um, I've never heard of that high school. No. I know where Racine is. Okay. Usually you are like all over. You're like, yeah, I know that place. <laughs> <laughs> this one. She was amazingly talented. She did it all. She was a singer. She was a dancer. She was a cheerleader. She was a piano player. Her dream in life was to go on American Idol. Aww. So she was just artistically talented overall. So although Cameron had many friends and had a lot of supportive family, she was severely bullied. Do you want to know why? Yes. Cameron was born as a male, but then she transitioned and she was teased for being too feminine. Um you know, for all of her life. So, right. And so then one day she decided to come out via um, Facebook and say, I identify as a female. Um, she changed her pronouns on there as well. And then she started a relationship with a male classmate too. So her family was the ideal family to have being part of this type of community of the LGBTQ um, they were very supportive, not judgmental at all, and very not shaken by the news. They were like, yeah, we've known. Right. <laughs> and they were like, uh, what they said was, we told Cameron, be who you are, end quote. Which I think is very, it's not really heard of, families being like, yeah, just do you, which is sad. Right. They had always known that she felt that deep down her gender was not male, but indeed female. And Cameron's parents knew their child was unique since he, sorry, she was a toddler. Um, Ever since she was very little, we knew Cameron felt differently. Um, That's what her mom stated. She said she used to dance, twirl, sing, and was all about that kind of attention her brother would be in a football game and he would go and try to get people's attention um, for his dance routine. So just a very, like, you know, happy little kid. So, uh, Jamie Olander, her mother, and Eric Olander, her stepfather, were becoming very worried about her behavior. Cameron would skip school and leave early or claim to be sick in order to avoid being bullied. And due to all the stress and missing school, her grades started to slip. Um, but it didn't stop at school, unfortunately. It did follow her through social media, which is tends to happen. You know, cyberbullying is definitely a thing. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, her parents at one point became so worried that they reached out to the school administration, but never received any communication back. I hate that. Schools really need to do better when there's situations like this. And parents, don't be afraid to just go up to the school and say whatever you got to say. Because I know I do. Right. (laughs) I mean, if it's to the point where my child doesn't feel safe in, Mm -hmm. like, a public setting where it's being 
monitored by adults yeah get your shit together because any any child should feel okay going to school and learn yeah they should on april 30th 2015 only a few days after she came out officially cameron did take her own life in the basement of her home uh, Jamie Olander and her stepfather, Eric, came home shocked to find Cameron. That's so tragic. They knew she was depressed, and they knew she was being bullied, and they they said that she was always just trying to put on a brave face so they didn't see any of the suicidal warning signs. So she would just kind of play it off and just make it be like, it's okay, I can handle it, but then, like, doesn't want to go to school, but then... Mm-hmm. They also were not as concerned that she would take her own life. Yeah, and I think people don't realize a lot of times people aren't going to say that they're suicidal. Yeah, right. Because, I mean, for many reasons. Yeah, people will put on a brave face. Right. Because, I mean, that's such a hard thing to say out loud. Like, people often think that way. Right. I mean, I feel like suicidal thoughts are at least across the board everybody has had it at least one time right right and it's kind of something that people would be like do we need to lock you up exactly (laughs) and that's why people are like scared to say anything yeah which i can see why because like as a person you want to take precautions so that person doesn't do that right so jamie her mother stated um, she had busted out all the lights, and her intent was very clear, end quote. So, the Olanders, her parents, called on officials to be more proactive about bullying and harassment as their own child had endured. They stated there needs to be more within the school, not just some outside resources. Bullying prevention needs to be taught in school, end quote. Agreed. Which is, like, where it should originate from. Yeah. Uh, so, I think this response by the Racine uh, School District spokesperson, Stacy Tapp, is complete dog shit. <laughs> Tell us how you really feel today. <laughs> um, I believe that they were trying to save face, and but really, they didn't intervene. They didn't address. They didn't act proactively. Instead, by what they said publicly, they were more reacting yeah so what they their issued statement was we are heartbroken over the loss of cameron and we are doing everything we can to support our harlick high school family we have programs across the district at every age level for students end quote like that's so i don't know bland to Mm me not at all like we we're gonna do everything to make this never happen. Like we're gonna, yeah, we're gonna look into what was going on, right? And make like, sure it's not happening to anyone else, right? Or, or like take any accountability accountability and say like we're gonna see like what we can change from within. Like that could be huge mm-hmm. to say, and it could be so comforting to hear. And I feel like okay, sometimes your parents might not really know what's going on, but when you're at school all day, if you're really seriously depressed, that's hard to hide from people People. all day long. Yeah, and I feel like adults would pick up on that as well. Yeah, So if they have training. Yeah, or I don't know. Or if they care. Yeah, I was going to say, I would pick up on it. I have zero training. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, um, 
So after the burial, Cameron's family wanted to honor her life. They held a celebration for anyone and anybody who wanted to join in and a special remembrance for a special young lady. And over 100 people attended in full support. A Man in the Mirror by Michael Jackson played in the background. A number of Cameron's friends comforted one another while listening to it. And they wore buttons with pictures of Cameron on their shirts and wore wristbands that said, In Loving Memory stop bullying and i am enough these children had had enough of losing friends and they were just there to support somebody that really touched their lives yeah uh so they this racine tragedy actually touched people across the world specifically germany a german chapel even lit candles for cameron and her remembrance oh wow which i'm like whoa how did that happen Um, Cameron's family took this tragedy and made it something to learn from. They planned Cameron's 16th birthday. Everything was set as any other birthday would. Um, You know, they had cake, they had balloons, they had everything. The only thing that was missing was Cameron. They um, wanted to celebrate her bright spirit and to make it a platform. They held a 50-50 raffle to raise money for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Um, so if you are a trans or gender non-conforming person considering suicide, Trans Lifeline can be reached at 877-565-8860. Um, LGBT youth ages 24 and younger can reach the Trevor Project Lifeline at 866-488-7386. Um, and I want to leave this with a little bit of perspective. For every one transgender uh, suicide that makes headlines, many are untold. Mm-hmm. And if we lived in a world where people chose to love for no reason instead of hate for no reason, Cameron Lingrel may have made it on American Idol singing and dancing and just yeah. living her life. And then that is it. Great job. Thank you. so sad. I was very sad when I came across this. Um, I know it's not as long, but it is important to talk about. It definitely is. And we support everyone. Absolutely. So if you don't have anyone else to talk to, you can email us. We don't care if you're purple, male, whatever. I don't give a fuck. What gender you are, what sexual preferences you have what race you are any of it we don't as long as you're kind just be a good person like yeah. i think that's just should be everybody's baseline really it should be all right i'm gonna hand it off all right today i am telling the story of marilyn mcintyre so my bestie megan saw this story on oxygen and suggested it to me mm, yes <laughs> she's like this story is so weird how to send it to you. <laughs> I love oxygen, so this is already, I'm already excited for yeah, it. Yeah, I was like, okay, cool, because sometimes it's hard to think of what to talk about next. So I love when people have suggestions for me. Hint, hint, people. Yes, <laughs> we need suggestions, please. <laughs> so my sources today are wisconsincourts.gov, thecinemaholic.com, san diego tribune.com, dailymail.co.uk oxygen.com and wisconsinhomicide.com i love cinemaholic so underrated (laughs) this is the first time i found it like this is interesting yes all right so marilyn had a rough teenage life as she bounced through the foster care system and eventually she would meet lane mcintyre 
who says he saved her from an abusive foster home by marrying her when she was 17. Mm. Lane has been quoted saying that Marilyn was a living angel and that their love was so pure that it can never be replaced. Unfortunately, their love would be cut short. On March 11, 1980, Lane arrived home around 7.15 a.m. after working the night shift at a local paper plant. He pulled up and he saw their dog was chained up outside and barking, which was really odd. And then when he walked in the house, he found his 18-year-old wife lying dead on the living room floor of their one-bedroom apartment. So fucking young. I know. I can't imagine me being done at 18. I'd be like, dude, this isn't even me yet. Right? Me at 18 was not all this. No, exactly. <laughs> yeah, right. I'd be missing out on all this. <laughs> I want to live to be like 150. Fuck that. <laughs> I'm going to be rickety Fallon going down the stairs. What? I'm going to put my brain in a robot. Oh, that's different. That's another episode. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Yeah, we need to talk about that one. <laughs> So, the pair also had a three-month-old son, but fortunately, he was unharmed. He was still sleeping in his crib, untouched. So, Lane was panicking, called his mother, and his mother contacted the police for him. At around 10.45 a.m., and I don't know why it took three hours, the police finally arrived, and they determined that Marilyn had been severely beaten, strangled, and she was stabbed with a kitchen knife after she died. It How so, angry do you have to be to stab somebody after they die? I was going to say that's so rage-filled. Yeah. Like, you're not done. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, you're dead, but it's not good enough. I'm still mad. Mm-hmm. They, the authorities did not find any signs of any forced entry, so they assumed that Marilyn knew her attacker and let them into the apartment. And the coroner also noted old injuries in addition to the injuries that killed her. So these injuries included scraped knees and a bruise to her vaginal area. Come on. And a neighbor had reported hearing the dog being let out and barking around 3 a.m. So this is when the police were thinking she must have been murdered. I don't know why they brought the dog outside right like we're gonna do this heinous crime but like the dog can't see her that's what it, that's exactly what it felt like to me like i don't want the dog to watch or maybe like the dog is big and then they're like oh i don't oh, want you to be attacked right right that could be it also made me think that whoever let the dog out had to know the dog because otherwise the dog's not gonna let him take him out Right, yeah, but uh, I don't know because it depends on the dog. I yeah, guess. it really I'm does. Imagine my psychotic dogs. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way in hell you're getting either one of my dogs on a leash if they do not know you. They're going to bite you. Oh, yeah, no. See, that's the way opposite for mine because it'd be like, yeah, let's go, let's go. I don't care who you are. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. They're just like, ooh, walk. Are they're we going for a walk. They're just so like happy to just be part of the plants. <laughs> Oh, my dogs are antisocial. They don't <laughs> like people. Oh. Yeah, it's a thing. So that's what I was imagining. Yeah, I mean, the, this dog trying point. to tear somebody's face off if they didn't know them. It could have been that situation for sure. Or maybe yeah. that the person didn't want it to get in the way. Or like maybe they thought, okay, it's chill now, but like if you see me murdering your person, like this is going to turn. Yeah. So, of course, Lane was the first suspect, the husband. Mm -hmm. 
But he was at work during the time that the murder most likely occurred. But this did not stop people from speculating that he could have taken one of his breaks and snuck home and committed the murder and then returned to work. They do get three breaks during their shift and one of them would be around 3 a.m. But his boss said there's no way he could have slipped out for the like 20 minutes home and 20 minutes back and however long a murder would take. Right. And, like, not look, like, disheveled and, like... Bloody? Right, right. Yeah. How do you... weird to me that... But people still believe that he could have done it. I mean, it's easier to believe that than a total stranger. Right. So, then adding to the suspicion against him was the fact that he had just taken out a life insurance policy on her. There you go. days before. There you go. Yeah, so that makes him look terrible. Yeah. But Lane pointed his finger at another suspect. This suspect was one of Lane's good friends, Curtis Forbes. Lane immediately pointed to him as a possible suspect, and others agreed that he did have a lot of anger towards Marilyn. Apparently, Marilyn had talked to Curtis's girlfriend, Deborah Adelston, and convinced her to leave Curtis due to ongoing abuse from him. Other people reported that Curtis had been going multiple places trying to find someone to have sex with that night and had gotten rejected numerous times. I guess before cell phones, you actually knocked on the door for booty calls? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. I thought that was more like an ad type of thing or like you take an ad out of the paper and said, hey, who's horny? That that would have been better than just like knocking on people's doors and getting rejected. Like, sir. This is assault. <laughs> it's 3 a.m. Why are you knocking on my door? Oh, yeah. I'd definitely call the police. Yeah. I'd be like that guy on the phone in those memes, just like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. I would never open the door. No, that's the thing. Like, I wouldn't open my door either. Yeah. I'd be standing behind the door with a gun. Like. <laughs> I'd be dead-ass asleep. <laughs> oh, not me. Everything wakes me up. If people breathe too loud, it wakes me up. You're like, shut up. <laughs> exactly. So, but this is the the prosecutor really is going go in on him wanting to have sex with people. I think it's a stupid part of the theory. I think it's valid. You think it's valid? Yeah, I think it's valid because who does that? That's true. Yeah. I don't know. Drunk people, I guess. If you're old enough to door have to door been doing booty calls. booty calls before cell phones, please let us know how this works. Yeah, I would like to know how this. I think just the old-fashioned way like just eyes across the the bar like across the what, supermarket what if it's somebody you know like somebody you've hooked up with before then that's double eyes you just, <laughs> you just pop up at their house you call their oh, landline that's, that's different that's different you, you may show up at their house yeah like if it's your ex oh yeah for you sure might just be like it's 3 a.m i'm here <laughs> what are you doing do you want to do this or not <laughs> So, people theorize, these people that are going along with this sex theory think that Curtis knew Marilyn was home alone. It would most likely let him in because she knows him. Okay, but she was, like, talking mad shit about him. Exactly. So, other people theorize that he went there looking for his girlfriend. Yikes. But he did go to his girlfriend his girlfriend had left him and she went back to her parents house he ended up at her parents house that night around 4 a.m so Mm -hmm. when his like circle of 
attempted knocking on the door. Booty calls didn't work. He went back to his ex-girlfriend, and she she let him in. Oh, God. She did marry him, too. No. She did. No. So, Curtis did nothing to help his case. Like, he's like, I, I know I'm a suspect. <laughs> I'm just going to be more suspicious. <laughs> I think there's something wrong with him. Yeah, I mean, a lot of things are not <laughs> adding up, Curtis. Like, Yeah. <laughs> So, instead of dealing with the situation, he talked to the police one time, and then he decided to leave town. Just like, I'm going to go. And just, like, went to Florida unannounced. No. And then wrote his family letters saying that he was innocent, but he understood that there was enough circumstantial evidence that he didn't look innocent, and he didn't want to deal with it, so he left. He's making a lot of bad choices. Yeah, I feel like there's got to be some drugs going on here. I really want to just say, don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So he eventually did come back to the Columbus area. But, I mean, at this point, he's already suspicious. And I'm guessing his door-to-door booty calls didn't work as well in Florida. (laughs) (laughs) He did not get down that far down there, that's for sure. No. And it's Florida. Like, what? Yeah. (laughs) Despite these theories, the case did go cold. Shocking. Mm. Then in 2007, Marilyn's niece accidentally called the Columbia County Sheriff's Office instead of the Columbus Police. So she's trying to call the (laughs) The Columbus Police to ask for updates, but she dialed the number for the Columbia Columbia County. Okay. They were intrigued. They said, we didn't know about this cold case. Oh, wow. We'll look into it. That's some... I like this. It's like destiny, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought. I was like, see? Things happen. Seriously. So when they began their investigation, they determined their best move would be to exhume Marilyn's body to see if there was any evidence left behind, like DNA under her fingernails or anything like that. Yeah. However, this was not their only move. They figured that if they exhumed her body, that the killer would get nervous. Okay. Like, even if we don't find anything, we're they... going to act like we did. Okay. We're going to put this all over the news, mm. and we're going to watch Curtis. Because that... Curtis makes bad choices. That's a power play. It was, yeah. So they had surveillance on him this whole time while they're doing this. Cool. So, they also had a blood sample that they had gotten from Marilyn's sink, and they sent it for DNA testing. And the testing showed that the blood belonged to Marilyn and someone else who, at the beginning, was unidentified. So, they had Lane um, give his sample. He offered to immediately, and it was finally shown that he wasn't a match, so he was officially exonerated at this point, a million years later. Mm. And Marilyn's body was too decomposed to get any evidence, but the police were like, yeah, we're not going to tell the public that, though. Yeah, smart. We're going to pretend that we know some things. Mm -hmm. So while they're doing this, Curtis has begun contacting carpenters' unions in Hawaii. (laughs) He's like, what? I think I need to go to Hawaii, I guess. Okay. And so it appeared that he was getting ready to make another getaway. But... This is Curtis. He does things in a very interesting manner. Facts. So he had concocted a plan to fake his death and run away. Oh, my God. Yep. So he bought a boat 
and an inflatable raft. And the plan was to take the boat out on Lake Michigan, blow up the raft, sink the boat, float to shore on the raft, and then disappear, pretending he had died in a sinking boat. And then go to Hawaii. Curtis, how are you getting to Hawaii with no new identification documents? How are you making all these life decisions? <laughs> like, what are you doing? Oh, and my also, God. also, Debbie, what were you doing married to him? If you listen to this. De- Debbie. Debbie. Come on. So they arrested him before he could do this nonsense. Yes. Thank the universe. Thank like, God. Yeah. So they came and they arrested him. And when they arrested him, some police came to question his now wife, Debbie, the yeah. girlfriend who had originally left him. Right. She should have stayed gone, Debbie. Mm-hmm. And she finally admitted that she did, in fact, see blood on his shirt the morning that Marilyn had died. I'd be so freaked out. Like, I know, like, he could be a suspect and he's doing all these crazy things, trying to kill himself, but not kill himself, <laughs> going to Hawaii, going to Florida, like, door to door booty that calls. Being your husband? I'd be like, dude, I don't even know what's happening. And this is like over years and years. How? No. How are you married to him? Debbie. Debbie. <laughs> no, Debbie. So she said she did see the blood on his shirt and that she had washed his clothes or somebody in the house had washed his clothes. I don't think it was her. Her mom or his mom or some. I don't know. Somebody's mom. Somebody's mom washed <laughs> the Mom! <laughs> Help. What, what gets blood out of my shirt? <laughs> my favorite shirt. It's covered in blood. Yeah. And she said he was incredibly shaky when he came to lay down. Like, he just couldn't stop shaking. And Probably all the adrenaline. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, given this information, Forbes was charged with Marilyn's murder. And it would only take the jury two and a half hours to convict him. He still proclaims his innocence, however. Of course he does. Yeah. He filed an appeal following his conviction, and he claimed that the statements of his wife should never have been admitted into the court because he said the police didn't have any reason to stay there and question her. Because they did question her for seven hours. You wow. Before she admitted to seeing the blood on the shirt. But they said they weren't questioning her the whole time. They basically just acted like they were kicking it with her for the day. Yeah, they're I mean, just like they're at her house, just like eating, having snacks, drinking oh. coffee. She was going about her business. They said she had left and came back a couple times. And you still stayed in this person's home, just like yeah, I go do your errands. I'll be here. Yeah, weird. Okay. Yeah, very weird. And so, Curtis's attorney was like, "This is not normal behavior. I don't think these statements should be admitted." Mm-hmm. But the judge was like, "I don't really care. Curtis is going to prison." Good. So, Curtis also told the court that there were multiple episodes of abuse that Marilyn suffered at the hands of her husband, Lane. Three months prior to her murder, Lane had beat up Marilyn in front of her family at a Christmas gathering. Wow, you got some fucking nerve. My family would kill somebody. There's no way. There's no fucking way. Like, that is... Wow. And then the weekend before her death, witnesses saw him strike Marilyn in the face and knock her to the ground. So that's where the scrapes on her knees came from. And when she tried to crawl away, he kicked her in the vaginal area from behind. That's where the bruise came from. Oh, what the fuck? So 
all this. She was a living angel bullshit that they try to portray on TV. Mm-hmm. His version of the story. He was beating the shit out of her. So, right. I don't know. I don't know about him either. Mm-mm. And so, I also think it was interesting that she was convincing her friend to leave Curtis yeah. while dealing with it herself. Yeah, I was literally just thinking that, like, why are the these two suspects, like, woman beaters, like, yeah. how is this happening? I don't know, but it's terrible. Mm-hmm. They should have killed them. Yeah. <laughs> I, I totally agree. Don't actually go kill your spouse and blame it on me, though, people. <laughs> The Fallon defense. We <laughs> can listen to a podcast, and she, <laughs> she told totally me to. Yeah, can you imagine? No, we would be celebrities then <laughs> for God. the wrong reason. Yeah. And so that happened, and then uh, Forbes Curtis he said that Wayne was also abusive to his next wife after Marilyn. Mm. So this is clearly a pattern of behavior for him. And even on the night that Marilyn was found dead, neighbors reported hearing the couple arguing through the floor, like, before he went to work that night. They had been arguing. Mm. And then, I guess this was a common occurrence. The neighbors said it happened regularly, and even more so if the couple had been drinking. Which, I mean, if you have a toxic relationship, it generally gets worse when you drink. Yep. So, the judge deemed most of this evidence inadmissible because it wasn't relevant to Curtis's guilt even though he thinks it is okay I don't how like do you feel about that I don't know mixed emotions yeah I have mixed emotions about this case yeah. oh my god like this case is like how have we never heard of this I don't know thank you oxygen yeah it was on oxygen <laughs> on the exhumed show thank you Megan <laughs> Thank you, Megan, because she probably won't listen because she doesn't like murder. (laughs) (laughs) What are you doing on oxygen? (laughs) Her stepmom. (laughs) Oh, okay. Well, tell her there's a shout out, so. I will. So, Curtis is still in custody at Red Granite Correctional. I always tell people where these people are. I don't know why they need to know. But I'm always like, this is the prison they're in in case you want to. You never know. They may want to hate males. I mean, I I condone it. Yeah. And what I thought was funny is they say his release date is the year 9999. Like, usually if they're not getting out, it just says lifetime. They're like, no, we're keeping you until... (laughs) Indefinite. Indefinitely. We don't even know the numbers anymore. (laughs) No. I was like, this is an interesting way. Because I've never seen anybody else's release date look like that. I've never even heard of that. Me either. Wow. It's very strange. Mm Mm-hmm. So, Lane, in these stories, which I think on Oxygen, he's probably one of the victims as well, because I don't think they talked about the abuse, but I don't know, because I didn't watch it, but none of the articles talked about the abuse. Hmm. Yeah. So, he blames everyone for pointing the finger at him and ruining his life, and I guess his him and his son are not on speaking terms at all. Like, they've been estranged. I don't know if it's always that they've been estranged or when his son got older. They didn't really make that clear. He says he's been ostracized by the whole community, her family, all these people, and he just doesn't understand why. Buddy, you don't look great, that's why. Yeah. Like, that's 
bottom line. And how do you say I I saved her from an abusive foster father? Married her at 17. Yeah, married her at 17 and then went on to abuse her. Fuck. You didn't save her. Fuck you. Yeah, no. Like, I don't... Kept the pattern going. Mm Mm-hmm. And it almost looked like, or seems like, he took advantage of the situation and it's like, okay, well, what can I get away with? Or maybe he was already, like, Mm -hmm. like this. I mean, obviously, since he went to abuse his next wife. Yeah. And thought, like, well she's used to it or something like that like some fucked up reasoning why these abusers do what they do yeah i don't know but i hate them all yeah me too and i hate how the true crime shows spin things Mm, do tell like just making it seem like they just had this great fairy tale romance Mm -hmm. right tell the whole fucking story from the get like don't tell me don't make me believe that they're like so in love and then all of a sudden he's been cheating on her for like 30 years like don't yeah because if i wouldn't have went and got the court records Mm -hmm. oh right right i would never have known yeah that there was all this abuse and stuff all of the articles written talk about how much he's like longed for her his whole life he's never replaced her like, his new girlfriend lets him hang a picture of her on the wall, you know? Because he's controlling and... First true love, and she's all these great things. If you valued her that much, you shouldn't have been hitting her. Right. Yeah. You shouldn't have treated her like fucking dog shit. Yeah. So that irritated me. Yeah, absolutely. Spin, these shows... I mean, I like true crime shows, but they yeah. spin everything. Into, yeah. like, a story that sounds good. Yeah. I totally agree. I feel spun. Yeah. And I'm not going to do that to people. No. So. Here's the facts. Here's the facts. So did you also find the abuse went on to the next wife through court records as well? Or was that on the show? That was through the court records from when Curtis filed the appeal. He mentioned. Oh, okay. Lane had grabbed his second wife by the throat and lifted her up a garage wall and said something like, I'm the man of the house and you're going to respect me or something. You're right. Oh, my God. What yeah. a monster. Holy shit. Yeah. So she loved him, too. Yeah. Good for you, person. Yeah. Oh my God. I still don't understand why Curtis killed Marilyn, if he did. Maybe he sounds kind of like a drunk or some sort of, like, drug-fueled. Because all of his actions don't make sense, <laughs> and he seems very reactive. Yeah. He seems very impulsive. Yeah. So it, maybe it he It might got, not make sense because he doesn't make sense. Right. Like, he just acts, like, on a whim. And to us, we're like, I mean... Yeah, I'm pissed, but, like, not... I'm right. gonna go, like, kill somebody pissed. Right. But, I don't know. I don't understand you, Curtis. Me either. Curtis, if you listen to us in Red Granite, <laughs> you can't email us. <laughs> yeah, oh my god. I don't want to open that door up. I can't email us. I have okay. permission. Okay. I, well, don't they get, like, on Facebook or something like that? No. No, they don't? Okay. No, Wisconsin, some of Wisconsin prisons have an email system, but Uh-oh. you have to approve the request. Oh, okay. It's not like they can't just be like, all the citizens of Wisconsin at Gmail, what's up? <laughs> right. Unless they sneak in a phone. Yeah, I have seen that on 60 Days In. Yeah. 
They do that. They do do that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, wow, all these things that they get away with. Yeah. And they still do it on camera. Yeah, they don't care. They don't give a fuck. No. (laughs) Oh, man. Okay, well, today has been a day. It has. Um, We wish you many naps today. (laughs) Yeah. We have, have a cupcake. Feel oh, better. Cupcakes sound good. Yeah. I'm hungry. Me too. I'm starving. <laughs> we love you guys, but we gotta go eat. Okay, bye. bye. <laughs> love you. <laughs> All the Sins of Wisconsin was written, recorded, edited, and produced by Fallon and Mims. Thank you so much to all of our listeners, supporters, friends, and family that continually allow us to do what we love. If you love our show as much as we love you, please give us a glowing rating and review. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to see what we are up to and email us your sinner tales at all the sins of wi at gmail.com. Episodes of All the Sins of Wisconsin are available for free wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't, don't forget, forget, we, we love, love you. you.